0: All right, welcome to episode 44 of 52 Founders. I'm your host Chrissy Costa and joining me this week is Ben Gilbert, co-founder of Pioneer Square Labs, a platform for creating companies, with big ideas. Ben currently serves as the interim CEO of one such company, Taunt, an app that is building the social competition layer for esports. Ben also hosts the podcast Acquired and was a great asset to me when I had nothing but an idea for this podcast show. He spent his career constantly innovating and is the perfect example of a founder that sets those up around him for success. And with that, here's Ben. All right. Well, Ben, I am so especially excited to have you today. So thanks for being on my
1: show. Yeah, absolutely.
0: I love that. You know, this feels so meta since you were the original person that helped me when I needed to learn how to podcast and we got connected <laughs> through a mutual friend who I also interviewed on the show, but it's really come full circle now as I'm nearing my end of my journey and you're, you, you know, you made this happen.
1: <laughs> well, I think I told you a couple of websites that had, uh, had good tools to use, but, uh, That's congratulations uh, on, on this many episodes. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, thanks. No, it's the giving uh, the giving first mentality that you have. It really inspired me. But you know, we'll get to you in a second. First, let's talk about Taunt and Pioneer Square Lab. So, what, how do you want to do this? Do you want to talk first about PSL or or Taunt?
1: Yeah, yeah, we'll do that since it's nice and nice and chronological. Great. So, about uh, two years ago. Um, uh, myself and and three other co-founders started something called Pioneer Square Labs. And we're a startup studio. So if folks are familiar with sort of Betaworks in New York or Science in LA, um, or Expos doing something similar out of San Francisco now, we basically are uh, a startup that starts startups. So we um we we now have grown, we're about seventeen people. Um, in the studio, it's designers, developers, you know, marketers, um, people that can really analyze uh, whether you should start a business or not from kind of a market perspective. And uh, we work through ideas, and we 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 try and build stuff. And and when it um, when it works well, we uh, we go find the right pur- like the right sort of founding team to take that idea from us, and they spin it out and uh, and raise external financing, and uh, and run as a as a company. And if it doesn't work, we kill it. And um, uh, we kill about nine out of 10 ideas. So we've we've killed, uh, it's actually, the, the math is perfect right now. We just announced our fifth and sixth companies and we've killed 60 ideas and we're actively working on a few more in the studio right now. And it's it's really that process of company creation in a very uh, methodical way with the same group of people over and over again and trying to repurpose a lot of the learnings from uh, things that we've killed into uh, into new ideas.
0: So does that ever get a little stale though, since you said the same people you know, and you're creating more and more ideas, do you ever want to worry about diversity of perspective or just kind of how do you keep things fresh?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, that really comes from the the true founders of these companies. When we spin something out, you know, there's a many, many month period where we're working full time with the the founder that we bring in to take the the idea with traction that we've been working to the next level. And we truly do call them founders because at, at that point, you know, we've sort of discovered the opportunity and and written some code and proven some things, but they're really You know, setting the culture, raising the money, building the team from that point forward. So, you know, we look at ourselves in in sort of a co founder capacity to that person, uh, offering a lot of things over a long period of time, but definitely a lot of work um, right up front, um, really sort of in the trenches with them on a day to day basis. So, you know, I've worked with two or three founders um, in a in that capacity sort of since we started PSL. And, and you know, it's always nice to return to the team a little bit. It feels like a little bit of a homecoming, even though you've been sit- sitting at the same desk next to someone. But the, the freshness really comes from gosh you know I'm I'm gonna go sit with Scott Moore who's the CEO of Ad Lightning and just be immersed in ad tech for three or four months and and really understand what that looks like or boundless and try and solve immigration problems or you know it, it goes on and on and, and different founders bring different things
0: God this is so interesting I feel like I have my mind's a buzz with so many questions but um, <laughs> I'll narrow it down to two so we can get back to you. One is, what do you look for in these founders and the founding team that you want to hand off these almost babies to, basically?
1: Yeah, yeah. So one thing that we say a lot is we think this is a new model for company creation, but not the only model or even the dominant model for company creation going forward. I still think most companies are gonna be started the traditional way of, you know, somebody with a great idea working out on their own, maybe going through an accelerator, or maybe raising some angel or venture funding. And and what we do is sort of provide the validated idea, a bunch of investors who are ready because they invested in us, they want to invest in our spin outs, ready for to to fund something, it sort of provide this package for folks that we think have been or would make amazing founders but you know might be at bigger companies as as leaders mm-hmm. there like really entrepreneurial spirit um that keeps getting rewarded with promotions and and really providing that launch pad for for someone to say you know what it is time for me to to run my own company and so some of the things we look for are potentially a, a proven track record um, as a operational leader you know someone who's been the head of product for an organization or um, really shows that they're they're a, a great operator inside of another company or perhaps someone that um, has started a company before and has had some some success in that area and and knows how hard it is sort of to, to go it alone or go with the traditional path or, you know, see, sees a lot of the value and, well, my gosh, I could spend a year burning my own capital and, and, and swimming around trying to find something, but you guys already have a validated idea. So I want to come and do that with you. And so I think for, for us, it's, um, you know, experience a, a belief, our belief, much the same way that venture capitalists do that this person is, is um, the person to fund and, and will make this thing successful no matter what. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and super deep domain knowledge because while we know a lot of things about a lot of spaces, we're largely generalists in the studio. And so we really look for someone, you know, if we're doing a, a sales tax idea, we look for the Robert Schulte of Lumitax who's been a, a state auditor in California and started a tax company before who's like, I, I can't imagine a better person to start that company than Robert.
0: Mm-hmm. So you're looking for founder market fit because you've already figured out almost the product market fit. Ooh, I like
1: that. I like that. I would say uh, <laughs> we can't quite claim product market fit yet of, of uh, the stuff we do because I think it's maybe a little early. Um, but but founder market fit, I, I love that description.
0: You have all these new ventures and kind of what changes every time and what motivates you to continually create, you know, and, and kind of what motivated you to start Pioneer Square Labs?
1: I mean, it's really fun. I think <laughs> like what, we've got these values, right? Every company defines their values. And one of ours is um, we can't believe we get paid to do this. Life just isn't yeah. fair that way. And I think the the 17 folks that work at Pioneer Square Labs are highly motivated by the fun of company creation. And I think lots of folks out there can probably relate to being that, that serial entrepreneur and that mentality of just the thrill of when something clicks. Like when you're doing those customer development calls and you're on the phone with someone and you're trying to validate an idea and it's not going well and they say, well, you know what I would buy is blah, blah, blah. And you're like, that is the third time I've heard that today. Like there's this this inherent thrill of like feeling like you found it that I think is is the thing that, that we keep chasing every time we work on a new thing.
0: You're my first startup from Seattle. Really excited about that because I feel like hey. I've been kind of all over the U.S. but not in Seattle. So what is it like growing a startup there? Like walk me through the tech scene and... Obviously, you have the big incumbents where you could pull talent from, which is really nice. But I'd love to hear more about the kind of growing startup scene.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, as is the news this week with Amazon deciding to open a second headquarters somewhere else, um, we're now realizing just how many people from all the backlash and freak out about that, just how many people are, um, are banking on this tremendous and kind of unprecedented growth that Amazon's had in bringing so many talented technical folks to the region. Um, over the last few years, so I think you know at, uh, at PSL companies now we've we employ close to a hundred people, and uh, many of them are are you know people that have left Amazon, people that have left Microsoft. I think primarily Amazon, and and really want to do something entrepreneurial because I think the the type of person who would go to an Amazon to do that two pizza team um, to work in that very fast paced, it out, be scrappy mentality that they have there and, and have fostered such a, a culture like that at, at their company lends itself really, really well to working at a startup. And so I think um, we benefit a ton from Amazon, Microsoft, and now sort of Google, Facebook, all the others, attracting people up um, into this region. Who who are entrepreneurial in, in many ways if they're going to do sort of new projects at those companies. The Xiao Wang, for example, he's a he's the CEO of Boundless, this cool immigration company that that we started. And uh, and Xiao was the the one of the first few product managers on Amazon Go, this innovative new retail concept with no cashiers. And so, you know, that that team grows, it reaches a thousand people or so, and and you know, Xiao wants to do something again, impactful, meaningful from square one. And so I I think there's, there's a good, you know, we're not as risk tolerant as the Valley. And in many ways, we're not as consumer focused as the Valley because there's so much B2B DNA up here from, um, Mm -hmm. you know, Microsoft being in many ways, an enterprise company um, and, and uh, being sort of like cloud, cloud city, as they say for cloud computing. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's lots of people that, that know more about the B2B side of things than the B2C side, but, I think there's relative to sort of every other city except San Francisco, uh, a pretty solid risk tolerance and people that are very, very willing and excited to go and start companies.
0: Yeah, it sounds like that. I also think, you know, you see those ecosystems and my old company, Xamarin, was acquired by Microsoft. And you could sort of tell when you have such smart people, especially when there's an acquisition. And I know you have your podcast acquired and you must cover this at some point, but, you know, they're itching to go back to starting something. And I think, You just have so much technical talent, which gives you an advantage over other locales where they might be suffering with the later stage technical talent to really how do you scale a company? You know, when you're getting to the Series B, Series C range of things and you want to hire someone who's done marketing for 15 years, right? I think you have a nice Mm -hmm. talent pool there that you could pull from, which is definitely an advantage.
1: Yeah, yeah. And this might be a, a a good transition. So I'm um I just spun a company out of, of Pioneer Square Labs. I just spent all this time talking about our, our model, breaking the model a little bit. And I'm actually the interim CEO of of our most recent spin out, Taunt, which is a an esports company. Um, and I'll mm-hmm. tell you in, in in recruiting engineers, of course it's a battle for talent out there. And of course everybody that you're gonna talk to is is probably saying, you know, it's so tough to attract really top talent to these companies especially engineering talent the 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 prices are crazy and the market is crazy and all, all these things are true but i will say there's just so many people here who are technically talented and who when you you know operate in these spaces for a while get to know a lot of friends and a lot of acquaintances and a lot of former coworkers who are really great engineers and and i think the plethora of having all those folks around me in my life actually make it so, you know, th- there are a lot of people who would want to go and be an early engineer at a startup. And especially, I think it, we're lucky in gaming, since it's a lot of people's sort of passion that that they want to go and do something there. But, you know, I, I think we're super fortunate to have so many engineers from these big companies and people that serially work at a bunch of these startups that that it really can kind of support the ventures that people are are trying to create.
0: Yes, definitely. And so, just really quickly, what is taunt and what does it do? Since you, you know, we segued into that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We are in the esports market, which for for people who haven't been following that is the um, art of watching other people play video games. And so, it's just like real sports. People compete in tournaments and, and in stadiums around the world. Millions of people tune in. In fact, the re- most recent estimates are over the, over three hundred million people will will tune in and watch esports in 2017. And these are games like League of Legends. Like Dota, like Counter Strike. When I say esports, it's not sports like football, it's or Madden. It's it's truly different, completely pure digital games birthed out of um, just PC gaming. And so, what Taunt does is it really provides the the social competition layer for fans. And what we mean by that is sort of what fantasy football did for the NFL. The NFL is is no longer just oh, I watch football because I specifically like the Packers or I like like the, uh, the game of football. It's for many people because they're in a fantasy league. So the 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 fantasy league is the, their social environment and the sport is the thing that powers their social fabric where they interact with their fans. You know, we, we thought about, should we just do fantasy but for esports? And that doesn't work for a variety of reasons. So what we're really doing is sort of inventing a new real-time mechanism for people to compete against other fans and do a League of Legends match and you're pretty sure that that tower is going to fall in the next minute, you can challenge other people who are in a room with you in real time while you're watching the game to say, hey, I know for sure that's going to happen. And we basically have a a series of reputation and badges and and, um, sort of virtual currency where you can show off to other people in the community, hey, I'm really good at predicting this type of thing and gain some notoriety for that.
0: I love this. It's also, you know, so it's interesting that you explain that to me because I was thinking it's more of like the fan duel kind of circuit there. Um, but do you have any worries about regulation? Like they might with with betting
1: yeah so um not really because we're not we're not um you know there's a few different categories there's there's you could actually be um betting on games of chance which of course is illegal in in um in the united states and unregulated and everywhere except for for las vegas so you'd have to go international for that there's a lot of different shades of color around games of skill and uh, daily fantasy is, is basically making a claim and well i don't want to dive too far into that because I'm, I'm not an expert but basically <laughs> We've we've shied away from all that completely. So uh, right now we're we're kind of launching this alpha product around the League of Legends Worlds event, and that's that's there's no monetization there. Um, and in the future, it, it's really around virtual goods. It's it's a system mm-hmm. where you know if you want to buy additional level packs or challenge packs or things for your character or functionality for your room or perhaps like refresh your currency, you you can do all these sorts of things with in app purchases. But there's no um, there's no like cash out. There's no way to to, you know, turn your money into more money or anything like that.
0: Got it. Thanks for that. All right. So thanks for sharing all that background a little bit longer than I normally do, but you have so many interesting things happening. I couldn't help myself. So let's now focus on you. So where did you grow up? Are you from Seattle?
1: I'm not. I'm not. I've been in Seattle for six years. I grew up in Ohio.
0: Oh, got it. Ohio uh, State makes sense. So, what did your parents do for a living?
1: Like father, like son. My dad was uh, an engineer, um, and then uh, engineering manager, and then um, he actually he, he works uh, now at a at a company called Cover My Meds, which just sold to McKesson. Um, it's sort of the biggest exit in in Central Ohio Tech, um, or I think in Ohio Ohio Tech, but really awesome, awesome um uh, for the Midwest. And he was the VP of engineering there, and actually, it's the VP of talent now. So moving around from um, kind of the the very technical into technical management and then into not technical at all. It's just funny to, to kind of both be, well, yeah, it's it's fun to be following in his footsteps a little bit.
0: Was he always into startups or did he do that leap later in
1: life? He did that leap later, actually. I think uh, it was very prompted by, I, I was really into Startup Weekend. That community kind of changed my life uh, around my college years. And my dad was a, a mentor for different Startup Weekends. And I think it really inspired him from, from seeing the entrepreneurial community to make the leap himself.
0: That's awesome. I actually interviewed Mark Nogger on the show oh, about nice. Startup Weekend. Yeah. So Mark- it is very meta podcast today. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, no kidding. In fact, it that yeah, Andy, the the mutual friend that that introduced us uh, that I think was also on here as well from from yeah. Mattermark. Andy and I I kind of ran the the Columbus startup weekend together. So it's super small world and uh and I think startup weekend changed everything for a lot of us. But thanks, Mark. Yes,
0: definitely. It's funny, I I think it's a lot of people, but you see though that's It takes a while to build up a community, but that's how you do it. And I think things like Pioneer Square Labs are a great example of other, you know, starting communities in your own area. So what did you originally want to be when you grew up as a kid? I think
1: at at some point I watched some legal movie and loved that you could like have a job convincing other people of things. So my mom was like, you're going to be a trial lawyer. Um, And I think as I realized, like all the stigma and then all the schooling and then a, a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of reasons I didn't want to become a lawyer. So, and I think in high school, I did a career project on marketing. Um, but my exposure to marketing at that point was like, I think I talked to the guy who ran like Purell marketing or something like that. And I was like, well, this, mm. this is actually what I was thinking about. And uh, so, then I uh, went to college for computer science because. Although I think I wanted to do marketing, I realized I was just too too into computers not to go and pursue that. It's you know now in being an entrepreneur combining the technical and combining um, um, the sort of marketing mind it's um you know it all kind of comes together
0: yeah, definitely. So how did you find your way out then to seattle
1: uh Microsoft yeah, so i um in in college, I had built this app called Seize the day that was kind of, sort of the the first major to-do list manager for the iphone so we had mm-hmm. over a million downloads it was sort of reminders before reminders was baked into the phone uh, so i was super into ios productivity and i found out when i was interning at microsoft during college that they were working on a secret project which was uh, going to become office for ipad and so mm-hmm. i i ended up um, going and talking with the team over there and basically you know saying look even in my free time i'm pouring my heart and soul into building." productivity products on the on the for iOS like come come let me do that. So then I went and did the um I was a user experience program manager on Office for iPad.
0: Do you think building your foundation at a place like Microsoft is, you know, advice you would give to a budding entrepreneur that's quite young, you know, to start off somewhere to really learn how they do things or do you say like just go for
1: it? Uh yeah, I actually gave gave the advice last night. Cause I you know, I'm always torn. Like on the one hand when you're young and you have nothing to lose is when you should go out and spend 16 hours a day working in your startup and throw it all in, right? And, and and trial by fire and all the things you hear. But I benefited so much from, I was actually only on the Office for iPad team for a year. And then I did something else at Microsoft after that. But that year as a program manager, like right now I'm sort of head of product and uh, CEO for for Taunt. And my all, all of my head of product skills come from that year at Microsoft. And mm-hmm. learning about making the hard cuts, and what is shippable and what's not, and you know how to effectively sort of run a product team, and the cadence of when people should be checking in, and and um, talking with other members of the team, and I, I think that that is like a hugely hugely valuable skill sh- skill set to learn how to effectively ship software, and I think going and working at a a, a big company that's doing something interesting, I mean, truly a product that. That is uh, that everybody's super passionate about and is new is a great way to to cut your teeth.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I think unless it's so pressing that you need to be doing it right now, and and, you know, you can always start off things on the side and get a lot done. But I think you learn so much when you're that young and green, particularly even about managing people or. Working with different personality. I think there is a large benefit, at least for me when I worked at Deloitte, even seeing how an enterprise company worked, how many stakeholders needed to make a decision. It helped me so much later when I was doing enterprise growth and sales to really know my customer and kind of, you know, know what was happening behind the scenes. It was just so invaluable. But I don't Mm -hmm. even think you need to be there for that long. You could figure that out, like you said, in a year. It's just And when you're young, a year seems so long that the older you get, you're like, oh, it's just a year.
1: (laughs) Well, it's funny. You're catching me right after talking to a college student last night and giving a bunch of advice. So two, if anybody here is sort of like listening and is young and wondering what, what to do, two really good pieces of advice, I think, that he and I were talking about last night. One is Google for Mark Andreessen's Guide to Career Planning. It's like the best thing I've ever read. Like, period. It's it's about an hour long read. It's a series of blog posts and it's just like a really good way for you to think about your career and at what stage you want to optimize for what. And that sort of inspired me actually on the plane ride out to Seattle when I was moving out from Microsoft to basically write a curriculum for myself and say, "Hey, working here is going to be like grad school. Here's all the things I will have wanted to accomplish and how do I look back on my time at Microsoft?" And uh, and say, you know, not have regret, like not not say, man, I had this opportunity while I was inside the machine to do X, Y and Z. And I, you know, I made sure that obviously in a you want to do the most sort of give first thing that you can make the product great, empower people around you, be an incredible teammate. But, you know, there's you can have a very intentional way of learning while you're there along the way. And I, Mm -hmm. I mean, I had like 18 things in a checklist and it was basically I set calendar alerts every two weeks to check in on myself and make sure I was doing the things that that I had sort of told myself I wanted to do while I was there.
0: I think that's so smart. So I, I really would love that. Oh, what was your second thing?
1: Oh, that was the second. The re- <laughs> One, go read Mark Andreessen's Guide to Career Planning, and two, um, write a curriculum before you take a job.
0: Got it. Yeah, that makes so much sense. I, I love, though, that, you know, you had these goals, and it might seem, you know, in retrospect, someone who might feel lost and like they can figure it out while they're there. And I think that's okay as well. You know, sometimes opportunities present themselves and you don't always have to be so rigid and planned out, but I think having mm-hmm. a list of goals is so invaluable and, and just so, you know, really motivating. I think it's also the people you work with. Right. So like a lot of my coworkers, if they're is very driven, you know, it inspires me to be driven as well. And so I think if you don't throw do that in your current job, reading things, like you said for Mark Andreessen can be that kind of void and, and fill that for you.
1: Yeah, totally. And I think, you know, you don't have to like follow your plan strictly, but mm-hmm. I think uh there's some great quote about I don't yet have a plan, but at least I have a plan for a plan, and I think <laughs> that it's like go in with a plan so that you can deviate from it and deviate intentionally rather than just being reactive of like doing all the random things that come your way.
0: Yes. I think it's well that's also great with scaling a company right when you have so much opportunity. Sometimes I see startups <laughs> Go after too much. And it's, you want to have a plan and be focused because otherwise you stretch yourself too thin, burn through too much cash. So I actually think it's applicable for lots of things.
1: Yeah. And I, I, on that point, one of the hardest things I think as a founder and, and, you know, just living it right now is setting your goals for the week on, I, I do it like Sunday night, set your sort of, here's the things that must get done this week, because here's the thing that we're marching toward, because inevitably you, you can and will fill your time with other very important things. Like you will get inbound from other companies that want to do something interesting with you where you go, huh, I'd love to bet the company on this. This sounds like it's actually a really interesting thing but you know a, a lot of clear-headed sober thinking went into making your original plan so making sure that you know you, you you stay heads down on the original plan while having the appropriate amount of of sort of ears attuned to external opportunities is like really really a, a a tough and um um super important balance I think for a founder
0: yes i totally agree and so with that what happened at microsoft that made you finally jump ship and go and start your your company
1: I'd love to say that it was like some sound biteable answer that that was (laughs) like I had this realization or like I checked off box 18 it's one of these people things it's one of these it comes down to people things and that thing was, uh, so in the in the evenings, I had been pitching Madrona Venture Group on um, various side project ideas that I had been working on um, and, and really got to know Greg Gottesman really well. And Greg was the one of the sort of original people at Madrona and a managing director there. Um, and actually now my co-founder at, at Pioneer Square Labs. So Greg and I had this great relationship from him telling me no a bunch of times on all, all the startups that, that I had pitched them. And Greg called me one day. Um, I think it was the morning of the Super Bowl, actually, the Seahawks Super Bowl. And uh, Greg basically just pitched me on the idea of, hey, I'm thinking about starting this labs thing at Madrona, where we're going to try and systematically start startups. And that that was sort of the blueprint for two years later when we went and started Pioneer Square Labs. What do you think about coming and starting it with me and sort of being the basically first engineer? And the thing that motivated me to leave Microsoft was was not in any way anything that I wanted to to leave at Microsoft, but much more like, holy crap, I've been wanting to do something with Greg forever. Would, would do anything to work with a guy. So I did.
0: No, I, th- I think that's providing. That's a great way to round out everything you've said, because it's so much good advice, but it's also like, you know, you could have plans and you should have goals, but you also should, you know, work with really smart people and and stay aware of opportunities as they present themselves. I, I firmly believe that there is a bit of luck to our career paths, but a lot of the you know, luck favors the prepared and, and the bold in my opinion. So I think yes. it's a really overall you know, a great way to end that piece for us. And so now we're going to end with some fun questions. So what is another Seattle startup that you really love?
1: Well, one that will have launched when this airs. Uh, I'd of course love to talk about any of the Pioneer Square Labs companies, but I I have a vested interest there. Uh, Loftium is a super, super interesting company that is, uh, is changing the way that people can buy homes. So they'll basically um, give you a chunk of change toward your down payment. And then in exchange, you Airbnb a bedroom for some amount of time in the first year or two, three of your, your home um, and do a revenue share to, to basically um, uh, satisfy your side of the contract. So the goal is people can make rent. Um, of course, because they're, they're living in a place now that would be the same as the mortgage. And in order to make them a home buyer, you really just need to give them that that opportunity to make the down payment.
0: I love that. And I usually don't comment on these I, I, these startups I asked about, but it makes so much sense. And I think because a few of my friends are actually doing this, they're just hacking around it and they're finding a way to get, <laughs> you know, but I, I'm serious. Like my, my best friends just moved to San Francisco and they're looking to buy a place and, the, you know, they're basically like either going to Airbnb out the second bedroom because they want to buy a two bedroom because They are trying to have kids in a few years, but they're using the Airbnb or they tried to convince me I should be that person to move in and help them with their mortgage. <laughs> but but it just makes so much sense. And I think if you're buying a house, you want to think long term. So you want to buy more bedrooms than necessarily you might need right now. And I love seeing companies where I know people in my life are already hacking you know, already doing this because they're making hacks around it, you know, whether it's getting their parents to co-sign the lease so they can get the mortgage. But if you know, but not everyone has that advantage. And I just feel like that is such an, that makes me to say yes, because I see it happening already. And why not make it a platform to make that already easier?
1: Completely, completely agree. I One of the best, if you're thinking about a way to start a new company, it's like try and observe the way the world is being hacked around you and then build a way to make that efficient.
0: Yes, actually, I think the book that I think changed my life was Changed by Design by IDEO. And I've always had this like fangirl obsession with IDEO because I think part of their process is just observing people for the first part of any project. And it's so interesting what you see people do. And I think there's another company about that. I know Ted talk about, you know, they make a park and they don't pave the, the footpaths yet because they want to see what are the natural footpaths people create. And so you're, it's like a metaphor mm. for what's happening here. What are the footpaths that people are creating already? And then how can you lay the pavement to make that easier for them?
1: Oh man. Yeah. And how can you do a better job at efficiently monitoring where the footpaths are being created in the world?
0: Yes, because exactly. Like,
1: How do you see those? How do you put the right lens on to see those?
0: You creepily watch people. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I don't know. I mean, that's one of those questions, right? You think what? Insights can you see that no one else can see, and or sometimes you just think like, am I the only one noticing this? But again, yeah. great, really great pick. And then so finally, if you could interview one founder, who would you most want to
1: interview and why? There are of course lots of cliche answers I could give, so I'm trying to think of a, a non cliche one. But I, I think people are cliche for a reason. Um, <laughs> you know, r- right now the the person that I'd most want to interview uh, is, is Jeff Bezos. There's so much about that company that is doing things that have never been able to be done before and defy canonical wisdom. You know, people say that, and and of course, like, there, there are there are sort of, like, physics to this. As, as you grow too big, you lose the ability to innovate. You lose the ability to move nimbly. The politics of a large organization prevent you from being able to do X, Y, Z. And Amazon, of course, has some of that. Every big company does. But the way they've managed to structure it, they have, like, all the benefits of scale and many of the benefits of being nimble and small. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm fascinated with the topic of how do you leverage scale and, and act like a startup? Cause I think people have been saying it forever and most companies are just terrible at it. Like to, I, when we, when David and I were starting Acquired, I pitched him two ideas for a podcast. One was uh, covering acquisitions that actually went well and didn't blow up and didn't become the media darling that, that people love to hate. And then the other one was companies that actually managed to innovate more than once. And that most companies have like a billion dollar innovation that is their start and then can't ever do it again. Mm-hmm. And I think with, with Apple, you see it a few times, you know, with the Mac and the iPhone and Microsoft had office and windows, Amazon just keeps doing it time after time after time, after time. I know. And, and I think I, I just, you know, I'd love to, really, what I would love to do is talk to Jeff Bezos in like 1992 and like mm-hmm. figure out like, do, is this guy like different than all of us? Like, is he you know, can can you see it even before it all happened? And did did he know that that it was going to end up this way? I don't know. I, I would love to talk to a younger Jeff Bezos.
0: I I think that's a great answer, and actually one I strongly agree with. But mine mine is more obsessed with AWS, and I just I feel like consumers always forget all the buckets Amazon's in. Right? Because you we use Amazon Prime now; they're doing Prime Video, and they're doing really interesting thing with their own content creation. And then you see things like AWS and you forget that they own like 70%, 70 plus percent. I don't have to look at the figure, but like of all the cloud infrastructure. And it's just, they're in everything. And it's yeah, not like D- they are the everything <laughs> store.
1: <laughs> David and I, one time on Acquired, came to this realization that we do this thing like the, the the carve out, which is like a piece of media or a product that we've used recently. And we came to the, the realization that um, every single one uses Amazon in some way. That either you can buy it on Amazon, or it's a web product that's hosted on AWS, or like in, in some way it 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 was created or delivered to me because of Amazon. Right,
0: which means now that data is the newest asset class, Amazon is poised to be the leader for the next I don't know how many years, right? Because they're going to have they have the most data on us ever out of any company. I, I mean, like from Alexa to everything.
1: Yeah, it's impressive. Th- them or Facebook? It's a it's an arms race there.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much for being on my show today. It was really awesome to have you.
1: Thanks. Thanks for having me. Awesome to be on and uh, congratulations on on making it 44 deep. That's no uh, no small accomplishment. <laughs> yeah. Thanks so much.
0: All right. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of 52 Founders. Be sure to check out 52founders.com and follow us on Twitter at 52founders to stay up to date. I'm your host, Chrissy Costa, and I'll see you next week for episode 45.